Um, so welcome back once again uh, to our study of the book of Exodus. Uh, if you're new to our church, if, you're, if you've missed any of the previous messages on this series, please take the time to watch them on Facebook uh, or on our YouTube channel. Um, as you saw from that video, uh, the main theme or the main topic that we're going to discuss this morning is that of the worship service. This worship service. These are the Christian gatherings that we have grown accustomed to every Sunday. And my goal this morning is to show you the origins of the worship service as we can see in the account of the Feast of Unleavened Bread found in chapter 12 of the book of Exodus. Uh, some of you are probably thinking, we've been in this part of the chapter for three, four weeks. You know, we've been discussing the Passover over and over again. You probably memorized that 14 to 28 by now. Uh, it's because there's a lot of stuff there that needs to be mentioned, and I can't do it in one sermon. Uh, I tried last week. We went over an hour. Uh, so I'm not going to do that to you again this week. I get it. Uh, people can't hold their attention that long. So <laughs> my goal is just to talk about this one thing. It's about worship service. But before we do that, let's go to uh, do a quick review first. So last week we went over time, just like what I said, as we took a deep dive into the meaning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, found in chapter 12. And like what I've been saying from the beginning of this study on the Passover, this Feast of Unleavened Bread is uh, its not a separate feast. It's not something that we should separate from the Passover. I think it, uh, it comes with the Passover uh, as a whole uh, celebration. Uh, both the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were instituted by God on the eve of the 10th and final plague. The Passover meal uh, was instituted for the main purpose of saving the Israelites from the 10th plague. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was instituted in order for the Israelites to commemorate, remember, and not just remember, but celebrate God's goodness and power that was displayed throughout their rescue from slavery to Egypt. Ultimately, both the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are pointers, okay? And I've been saying this over and over again. They're pointers to the greater salvation plan that God has for us that we see the fulfillment in the New Testament. Uh, Augustine once said, uh, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. That's the New Testament is for. So as we studied the Passover, as we studied the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, God used this, these celebrations, these feasts as a picture, or to paint for us a picture of the full salvation that is found or to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and this study brought us to the focus of last week's message. If you were here last week, what was the focus of last week's message? It wasn't silence, I know that. What was the focus of last week's message? Yeast. Yeast infection. No. <laughs> yeast and what yeast does. That's what we took up last week. If you can still remember, we discussed the literal and historical significance of unleavened bread, namely the leaven, uh, and also its spiritual significance by looking at the characteristics of yeast. Uh, and last week I said that yeast is often used by biblical authors symbolically because of the nature of yeast. Um, what's the nature of yeast? A little bit of yeast can, in fact, work itself in its surroundings, whatever it touches. Right? Okay. Okay, let's stop for a bit. Let's, uh, so. Signal for anybody else who's got their ringer on? Turn them off right now. All right. Because it's like yeast. Next thing you know, all the ringers will be going off. Turn it off. Okay. <laughs> Throughout scriptures, yeast is usually used as reference to sin uh, and its effects. Not just sin, but its effects on individuals as well as their surroundings. So not just as us as individuals, but everywhere else. Uh, but as we saw last week, the Lord Jesus Christ referenced yeast as well in one of his parables, uh, but as a reference to, to faith. That's why I'm always stressing this every time I preach. 
It's important to always read the Bible in context. Never assume that a word, same word, used in a different part of the scripture means the same thing. Doesn't. You have to look at the context. Now, having said that, uh, this morning we're going to look at another aspect of the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, that I believe is also, also has a direct application to our lives as Christians living in today's society. Uh, last week I mentioned that this feast is ultimately a reminder to the Jews of how God rescued them from slavery. Uh, and from the 10th plague and how urgent their departure happened. When the Jews celebrate this today, that's what they remember. We had to leave in haste, right? Because of what was happening. The, the Egyptians, after the 10th plague, kicked them out. They had to leave in haste. Um, that's how they celebrate it today. The Jews celebrate today. But for us as believers, since we know the New Testament, and hopefully we believe it, we celebrate for a different reason. Throughout this whole mini-series, I've said that both Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, again, points to the salvation that we have in Christ. The lamb that was killed for Passover, the Passover meal, and whose blood is the sign to be passed over in the time of the Exodus, is a pointer to Christ. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a pointer to how God not only frees us from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And being freed from this, we are to live as free people, free from the power of sin, or no longer enslaved to the power of sin. And I said this last week as well, this doesn't mean that we are now sin-free. None of us are. And I think that's why we need worship services, but we'll get to that later on. None of us here are sin-free. That's not what the Bible is calling us to do. We are free from sin. There's a difference. Right? We are free from sin and its grip on us, but we are still prone to sin as we live in a world that is dominated by sin. Uh, if you know your New Testament, this is why Jesus washed the feet. Remember? No? <laughs> Remember Jesus washed the disciples' feet? What did he say? Why? You're already clean, but I need to wash your feet. Why? Because your feet always get dirty. That's us because we live in a dirty, sinful world. We, we always, we're always going to be prone to that, to sin. Uh, but then the good news is that Jesus comes and washes our feet. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's why we're, I'm not saying that we should be sin-free. But we are all, uh, uh, instead we are free from sin and its grip on us. Uh, so when the Feast of Unleavened Bread says, don't eat anything unleavened or Cleanse your homes from leaven. I believe this points to our growing sensitivity to the sin around us as we continue to grow in faith. Uh, short summary from last week. Uh, and like, like I said last week, our faith is also like leaven in that it will also continue to grow and continue to integrate itself into all aspects of our lives and that this growth is made evident by our actions, the way we live our lives. Therefore, I'm not preaching works salvation. You're not saved by your works. James does not mean that in James 2.24 when he said that what, you're not justified by faith alone, but by your works. That's not what he means. Uh, instead, what James means, I believe, is that our good work is a result of. Uh, that's how we see it. Otherwise, you won't know. Right? It's a result of uh, a living faith. Now, part of what it means to have a living faith, okay, it's not only seen in the good deeds that we do, uh, but also from another aspect of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is mentioned in chapter 12. That's going to be our focus this morning. Last week, we focused on the result of the Passover sacrifice, and that is a freedom to live free from the power of sin. This morning, we will focus on the response. The response the Passover sacrifice. Uh, let's read it again. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 16. You guys read it? Twice it was repeated, that phrase, holy assembly. 
And notice that the instructions for the Israelites to rid themselves of leaven, both internally and externally, is followed by that instruction. Have a day, first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, and last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Have a holy assembly. Now, the original Hebrew word used here for assembly is the word mikra, uh, which literally translates to the word convocation. Okay. What is the convocation? Uh, I just went to one, my sons. So usually, you use convocation when people graduate, right? They graduate from high school, college. Uh, that's the convocation. Now, how do you define that? What, what's a convocation? Uh, a convocation is a group of people formally assembled for a special purpose. As far as graduation is concerned, it's for formally is for them to see and remember the days of uni and, you know, be thankful that I passed. You get a certificate. Now, if you don't attend your convocation, does that mean you still graduated? So it's not what you know, enables you or, you know, that's not the, uh, the, the, what you need in order to graduate. It's just a celebration to remember, right? Same thing here. The convocation assembly that God is calling them to, to do during the Feast of Eleven Bread is not what saves them, but it's to remember how they were saved and to remember God's goodness in their salvation. Clear? So don't come to me saying, oh, pastor said, I have to attend church. Otherwise, I'm not saved. That's not what it says. Convocation is not that. It's people assembling formally for a special purpose. Check out Exodus 12, 17. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day, what? I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. That's the purpose. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. What's the purpose for the convocation? If it is a formal gathering in order to celebrate a purpose, that's the purpose. That's the gathering. What's the, what's the gathering for? It's for that, right? For on this day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. 1224, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons when? Forever. And when you come to the Lord, or when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the Lord's, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. What happened when you say that or when, the, when this happened during the time of the Exodus? The people bowed their heads and worshipped. So what's the purpose for our gatherings every week? It's not only to remember what God did, but to preach what God did. Talk about what God did. Sing about what God did. That's what the convocation is for. We are assembled here formally for that. And then we, it says that we operate, offer it as service. What do we offer as service? Worship to God for his goodness in saving us. Right? That's why we call it worship service. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, because I'm thinking, like, is this the same as Sabbath? You know, because it's a Sunday. Usually, when it's Sunday, we call it Sabbath day, day of rest. I, I believe so. I believe that these worship services in, uh, in, in Exodus 12 is a preview of God's Sabbath or rest day. Uh, when did we first hear about this rest day? day in Genesis 2 verse 3 right for God blessed the seventh day made it holy because on it God rested from his work now if you think about it does God really need to rest 
I thought God never got tired. I thought God never slept. So what, what, what is with the Sabbath day? Why did he bless this day? In order so that he could sit back and enjoy his creation. He doesn't need to rest. Right? Where else can, do we hear about this? Exodus 20, verse 11. 20 verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all of that's in it, or in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I, I believe that this, 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 this worship, this, this convocation that's happening here in Exodus 12 is a pointer to that. And that the purpose is the same thing, is to sit back, it's for us to sit back, rest, don't do anything other than just focus on worshiping God, remembering his goodness, remembering his salvation in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus said, right, in, in the New Testament in Mark. What did Jesus say? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why did Jesus say that? Because the, the Pharisees back in those days were making Sabbath so hard because they kept adding all kinds of rules on Sabbath. Meanwhile, God didn't institute Sabbath so that you will work harder, so it's like a burden for you. It's Sabbath day rest. Now, ultimately, there's a deeper meaning to that as in Jesus being our rest. But as far as this, this institution of Sabbath is concerned, as far as worship services is concerned, this shouldn't be a burden, right? This shouldn't be hard. You should be resting right now. Some of you are resting so hard, you fall asleep. But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a burden, right? Singing songs of worship shouldn't be a burden. For some people, I just, it sucks that it's like a burden for us to sing songs. I'm sorry if I'm getting loud, but <laughs> it's just hard to see, right? Because God appointed these days for you to just sit there and just enjoy him. <laughs> and it's hard because you see some people are so burdened by it. Sometimes maybe because you keep looking at your seatmates or sometimes because you keep thinking of the people at church. Ah, oh, man, I'm going to see this person again. <laughs> I don't want to go to church. Some people just don't like to sit here. Some people are forced to be here. Some people are coming here because they think it will make them look good in front of God because, oh, it's Sunday. I have to be there. No. That's, that's not what Sabbath day is. Or, now granted, Jesus said in G John, what is it, John 4, that there will come a time that people won't have to go to Jerusalem. They won't have to worship on the mountain. They can worship anywhere. But that's talking about a lifestyle, a living out, a worship lifestyle that you're worshiping everywhere you go. It doesn't talk about this formal, formal convocation. Oh, I don't have to go to church because Jesus said, John 4, I can worship anywhere. I just stay at home. I just watch on my TV. They stream it anyway, right? No. This is actually for us. I know it says service, but you're not doing service to God as in your, you know, God's probably sitting there, you know, like angry. These people come here, I gave them rest, but it seems like they're being burdened by the rest. It's like when you go on vacation, instead of enjoying your vacation, you're so stressed. What, what did you go on vacation for? But weekly, God said, you need rest. And that rest you can only find if you focus on me as the giver of life, as your savior, as your refuge. Right? That's what it is for. Right? And I think that Exodus 12, the feasts of unleavened bread, the celebrations, the, the, the gatherings at the first and the last day, is that. It points to 
that, it points to Sabbath. God intended these days of worship to be used to remember or commemorate and focus on his goodness and on his salvation. Check out Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep Sabbath. Not for him. For you. <laughs> keep the Sabbath. You need to continue to remember what brought you here. You need to continue to remember where you are at and then look at where you're at now and be thankful. And the response is worship. Again, these holy gatherings that were commanded during the feast for the first and last days of the feast are reserved for God. The focus for these days should be solely on enjoying Him and the salvation that He brings through Jesus. So now the question is, why do people come to church not just looking burdened but feeling burdened? feels like it's always heavy to come to church. Like, uh, Sunday again. Who feels that way right now? <laughs> yeah, be honest, it's just us. <laughs> Why, well, you don't want to be judged? <laughs> right? Well, I, don't worry, you don't have to raise your hands. I can see it in your face. <laughs> Some of us come here, we're so miserable. Like, oh, man. Like, they're probably thinking, Man, you better not go for another hour today. Pastor better not preach another hour. Right? Slowly, we as a ch church have lost the reason why we're here. But isn't it like that with every commemoration that we do, right? Christmas, look at Christmas. We commemorate Christmas. What do we do on Christmas? You can't even say Christmas anymore. Right? Happy Valentine's Day. It used to mean something. Now, it's just an excuse or for the wife to demand <laughs> something from their husband. You don't spend time with me the whole year. It's Valentine's Day. It's my day. Right? Anniversaries. Right? Birthdays. Birthdays is just an excuse to throw a party. <laughs> Those of you, right? Where's the cake? It's, it's like that. The, the original Thanksgiving, it's, it's about turkey. Was it about turkey originally? No. Right? So we're like that. We're people like that. We, throughout the years of doing this repetitively, over and over again, and throughout this attitude of I know more, it shouldn't be just that. It should be this. And we kept adding to it and adding to it. Next thing you know, Easter is about mini eggs and rabbits. We do that. And we're doing that when it comes to worship. Keep adding stuff to it. Throughout the years, our understanding of what it means to gather formally for worship has lost its weightiness. Today's Christian consumer mentality has transformed our worship gatherings into rock concerts and inspirational talks. When the music sucks, worship sucks. They didn't sing my song. Preaching is long, worship sucks. I don't want that to go back to that church anymore. Kept calling me out because I'm sleeping. You suck. I don't want to hear from you anymore. Let me go to the church that doesn't care about whether I sleep or not. That church on the video. You want to sleep? Staying awake is not required. <laughs> Can't call out people's sins anymore. Offensive. You've lost the weight of what it means to come here, gather, to worship. It's become more and more about catering to the needs and the wants of the congregation than it is a commemoration of God's saving grace in Christ. 
It has. I'm not saying about our church, but if you look at the church in general, that's what it is. Look at the biggest churches around us. Have you been? Or do you watch? I watch them a lot. And you, you want to sit there because the speaker is dynamic. Says a lot of jokes and walks around and turns off the lights and you know communicate very well. It's not that church, sorry. But hopefully the content is there. So for a lot for a lot of Christians, that's what church is about. Cater to my needs. Cater to my wants. It's about them instead of about God. Worship has become more about making people feel better about themselves than it is a response to God's goodness through the gospel. Right? I can't tell you that, you know, if you're going to come to church sleepy, don't come at all. I can't say that. Why? You get offended. Oh, I, worked, I was working so hard and you know, I need my rest and rest at home. I can't say that anymore, right? <laughs> or can I? Am I allowed? <laughs> right? You can't say that anymore. I was telling the, the Sunday school earlier. You can't call people fat anymore. Body shaming. But sometimes the reason why we say, yo, you need, you need to lose some weight it's for your own good. It's for you to wake up to the reality that this is not how you're supposed to be. Right? Our people will say, ah, you're judgmental. You're... No. I like one of the YouTubers, one of the fitness guys on YouTube. He said that um, for people who are overweight, obese, they're, they're addicts. They are. What are they addicted to? Food, <laughs> right? So will you tell uh, an alcoholic that when he's puking on the ground, you know, fainting because of being drunk, will you tell that person to be, that's fine. It's okay. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. It's all good. Will you tell a drug addict the same thing? No. So how come when we tell people, Watch your, you know, watch your cholesterol. Look out for your physical body. People take it out as offensive. Isn't that the right thing to say? And when people call, when when pastors call people out of church, isn't that the right? Shouldn't I be doing that? Because I don't want you to go that way. That's why I'm calling you back and focus on the right thing and right. Nowadays, it's not like that. It's all about making people feel better. That's why when you hear, uh, when you listen to sermons, a lot of times they're all, they're all like TED Talks. They we call it TED Talks, motivational speeches. So it doesn't matter what you are, who you do, well, you know what what you do. It's okay as long as you believe. You believe, yes, good. That's it. Worship has become about people instead of a response to God's goodness through. The gospel. Uh, and I like one of the illustrations I heard from Vadi, uh, Vadi Bakum. I don't know if you guys know him. Um, he used this illustration. It's not a, it's obviously, it's not a true story, but it, it makes a lot of sense. So the story goes like this. Uh, father and son walking um, through a strawberry field. Okay. So they're walking through a strawberry field, picking strawberries. This has been strawberry picking. Is that season again? Strawberry picking season, almost? No? Past? Done. Okay. I don't pick strawberries, you know, so you know, I just go to the store, they always have strawberries there, why would I pick strawberries? <laughs> anyway, that's why I don't fish as well, right, there's fish in the stores. Uh, <laughs> um, they're walking through the field, strawberry field, the father gives the son a strawberry, and the son, oh, mm, good strawberry, sweet, that's fresh, okay, years later, the sons are grown up, um, and all these new products come out. Strawberry drinks, 
what do you call those little pockets with the strawberry filling? Pop-Tarts, strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts, strawberry-flavored candy, strawberry-flavored. All kinds of different types of strawberries. But they make it so that it's kind of like strawberry. It's more intense than strawberry. It's sweeter. It's, right? Now this son that's already a grown-up, that's what he fed his kid. Instead of taking him to the strawberry field, fed him Pop-Tarts. Yeah, yeah, this was strawberries. You want some strawberries? I got some strawberries. Strawberry candy, strawberry pop, strawberry... Up till now, I don't know what a peach tastes like because the only peach, ta peach taste that I know is fuzzy peach. That is the only, I don't know what a real peach tastes like. So this father was giving his son that. But the grandfather's like, hey, hey, that's not real strawberries. Let me take you to the field. Took the grandson to the field, gave him a real strawberry. What do you think the grandson said? Yuck. This is too sour. This is not strawberry. Isn't that what's happening to our worship services? That's why people say yuck to real preaching. That's why people say yuck to content that hits yuck. They're not used to it anymore. They keep hearing all these fluff, fake strawberries. I used to the real one anymore. When they go to the real one, they're either bored, burdened, or they just don't come at all. <laughs> we have added so much to our definition of worship service that we've lost what it truly means to worship God in spirit and in truth. If worship is a response to God's goodness, mercy, and grace then worshiping apart or worshiping God apart from knowing what it means to be saved by him and through Christ is really empty worship. Understand? Maybe that's why you feel burden coming here. Maybe that's why there's no joy. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why it's hard to get up on Sundays or read your Bible or Maybe that's why. Because we've lost it. We don't know what it means anymore to be saved by God. Right? Because think about it. Why would you give somebody worth if you don't know that person, if you don't know what that person did for you? Why would you do that? Now, if this is you, and this is the reason why worship service is a burden, instead of a joyful celebration. That's why you look the way you look. <laughs> That's why you're so sleepy. Can't stop. I can't stop looking at the sleeping people. I, I try not to look. <laughs> They're just right in front of me. Maybe that's why. This, this no, there's no interest in it because they, you don't know what you're professing. I understand it. Do you really know? Do you understand what it means to be saved? I mean, doesn't the book of Exodus just show you? 400 years, you're, they're sitting there. And then all of a sudden comes Moses. And after a few days, months, they're out. <laughs> how, would you re how would you respond? Right? How would you respond? And we're worse. We're looking at not just 400 years. We're looking at eternal separation, death, eternal separation from God. And then to be saved from that? And our response is, ah. <sighs> Some people just yawn when I yawn. It's, it's, it's like yeast, right? When you yawn, everybody else yawns. <laughs> does, that make, does that make sense? If that's, if that's what worship is, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? 
So my question is, do you, do you understand what it means to be saved? What does our salvation really mean? Because this is the basis of our faith. When we say faith, we say we believe. What do you believe? That God saved me through Christ. But what does that mean? Do you understand? Because if you don't, then maybe part of why we're not excited about worship is because we don't understand. We just say it. That's basic Christianity. Like if I were to ask you again, what does salvation mean to you? What would you say? I was watching this YouTube video while preparing this message. I'm going to show it to you guys. Um, background on this video. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, if you've been to a conference, like a church conference, uh, they usually have uh, panel discussions. So they, they take pastors and they have questions for them and they, these pastors answer questions. So this is a panel discussion um, on the basics of Christianity. And the question that was raised to the pastors is what are we saved from? What are we saved from? And it was asked to this very popular pastor, Judah Smith. I don't know if you guys know Judah Smith. No? No? Okay, he's very popular in the state. He has a huge church. Um, they have online gatherings. Just like what it says on the video. You can go virtual. Uh, and, you know, put on your 3D glasses and you're in the church. Judah Smith was asked, what are we saved from. I want you to listen to his answer, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Need people, and one of those things is that we want to grow in our biblical literacy. How many y'all know? If you don't know the Word of God, you can't apply the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you can't teach the Word of God. And so we've been trying to grow as a staff and a team, and Dr. Tennyson has helped us do that. And so. In that spirit, I, I just wanted to take some time. We're going to have some banter. Everyone's going to kind of chime in and have conversation with us. But I wanted to kind of maybe just begin, if we could, with maybe just defining a couple terms that maybe get used in church a lot that I wonder at times, do people know the weight of those words? And I think the first word I want to talk about is the word salvation. And uh, the theological word is soteriology, which is, you know, your doctrine of what is salvation? Like, how do we actually define that? We're going to start with Dr. Tennyson, and then we'll start kind of jumping in, and we'll move into some other things. But can you just define salvation? Because we're all here, and we're not having faith in faith. We're not here doing TED Talks. This is a different thing. So talk a little about that. So I would define salvation this way. It is the description of the total package of what God does for us in Christ Jesus what God is doing for us in Christ Jesus, and what God will do for us in Christ Jesus. Because we haven't been resurrected yet. So all of this fits under salvation. Not only that, but it's from salvation that we get our identity. It's from salvation that we get our destiny. And in between those two, we have our worship and our ethics. So salvation teaches me who I am. It teaches me how to live. It teaches me what I live for. And it teaches me what my life is going to be at the end. So salvation encompasses all of that. I now, I, I will say this, and I'm going to answer this just real quick. There are three questions that in theology we try to answer. You said soteriology. You said the big word. So I'm going to say something about the big word. We're trying to answer three questions. And the way I say this to my students is this. If you're ever walking down the street, and out of nowhere I come and I tackle you to the ground, and you look up at me, and my first words to you are, don't worry, I saved you. What's your first question? So when we use this word salvation, the first question people are going to have is, from what? So this big word soteriology has to be able to answer the question, what are we saved from? But it also has to answer the question, what are we saved for? And then finally, how are we being saved? And the answer to all of that is going to revolve around Jesus. Very, very good. Bye. Okay. Um, <laughs> why are we up here? <laughs> so that was going to say is, why are we here? <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that first part, which is what, what are we saved from? And Judah, let's, let's kind of weigh into that and the idea of why are we saved and what do we need to be saved from? Rich, I always tell my students when I'm <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> put some pants on, bro. Um, well, dang. Uh, well, dang. <laughs> man, I knew I should have paid attention to Bible college. <laughs> Shoot. Picking up where Dr. Tennyson left off. <laughs> Just get to it. Um, you were saying what we're saved from, from, uh, well, from ourselves, right? Um, we're killing ourselves. We're killing ourselves. I was the pastor of Justin Bieber, just so you don't know. That's Justin Bieber's pastor. So what are we saved from? What was his answer? Who here thinks that? That's about right. What are we saved from? If he, like, do you know that? Do you, do you know why, what, why God had to do what he did to save you? Yeah, we, we, we know the basic answer. That, oh, it's because we can't do it ourselves. Yeah, but you didn't answer the question. <laughs> question is not, why did you save yourself? <laughs> it's not the question. question is, what were you saved from? Basic salvation question. Obviously, if somebody, just like what the professor said, I like, I like what the professor said. If somebody tackled you and said, don't worry, I got you, I saved you. First question is, from what? What's going on? I'm, I'm just minding my own business. You tackled me for nothing? From what? As to a Christian, what do you save from? And a pastor, ourselves? Is that, is that right? Is that biblical? Does that make sense? Now, I'm not trying to badmouth these ministries, okay? God can and will use anybody <laughs> to be able to get the word out, to get the gospel out. He's going to use anybody. I'm just sad to see the response of Judah Smith and the response of all the pastors there. Remember after the professor said his thing, they were all like, wow, oh, what are we doing here? We're not supposed to be, but you're pastors. What's the, right? If you can't answer the basic, how are you going to answer the, the more difficult questions? And I'm not saying this, is a, this, is a, this isn't about knowledge. <laughs> I'm saying the reason why the church is, where it is today, as far as those big churches are concerned, is because we've lost the sense of why we worship. We don't even know what we're saved from. It's encouraging to hear that professors are still teaching it the right way. But for a lot of pastors teaching it on the pulpit, what are we teaching? Is that the worship that God deserves? Is that the worship that God is asking for? No. The only worship that God deserves, the only worship that is pleasing to God is that we know why he did it and we believe that he's going to do it and going to keep doing it until the end. And that's only possible if you truly understand who God is, what he did for you. Otherwise, again, worship will just be an emotional response, not a spiritual one. You can cry all you want when the song, your song comes. If you understand what that means, and if it's just emotion, because, oh, I like the lyrics or the melody, then what's the point? Right? Isn't salvation necessary because we need to be saved from something? What is that? And how does it work? How does it work? And what is it saving me to or for? You're saved from this? Saved for what? If you don't know these things, then yeah, it's empty worship. You're coming here for the wrong reasons. 
I think that the account of the Feast of Unleavened Bread shows us that. It's a very basic question. The gathering for worship was to commemorate the day God saved Israel from, or Israel's firstborn from the tenth plague. That was the original, right? That's why it was commemorated. That's why there was Passover. Because this thing is coming that's going to come for all firstborns. But God in his grace told his people, not you guys, because I want you to do this. After you've done that, cleanse yourselves of leaven because you're going to be leaving soon. You're going to be free. But after you've done that, I want you to observe this. Every year, worship. Worship. What are they doing that for? Because of what happened during the Passover. The days of worship during the Feast of Unleavened Bread were for the purpose of looking back, back and celebrating God's goodness to his people and remembering God's awesome power that they witnessed during the plagues in Egypt. A lot of modern worship services don't look like anything like that anymore. Quick in and out. Multiple services, quick in and out, no membership. That's another thing. No membership required? I don't think the Bible talks about that. But are, are there a lot of people who just goes in and out of church, not a member? Yes. They just need to get their fix, out. I'm out. I feel good about myself now, I'm out. Totally, totally opposite from what the Feast of Unleavened Bread t tells us about what true worship and I believe at the root of it is a lack of knowledge when it comes to your own salvation. So, I was contemplating this. I was going to ask my wife, but I forgot. I was going to take the next two Sundays and do basics. What was the answer to what are you saved from? A lot of us will say, sin. Is that right? Saved from sin. Who says sin? How come nobody wants to read that? It's a simple question. Who says we're saved from sin? We're talking about justification. We're talking about, remember, the, the, the example is Exodus 10 to 12. What were they saved from? Something is coming, right? Something's coming. If you read Habakkuk, what was Habakkuk so afraid of? What's going on, Lord? Can you please save us? What is God saving them from? Something is coming. The Chaldeans are coming. The Babylonians are coming. The 10th the plague is coming. That's what's coming for us. Judgment. <laughs> yeah, we need to do basic. <laughs> Something is coming. God's not just going to come here and, and tackle you to the ground for nothing. What? If I tackle you to the ground because a bus is going to hit you. Something is coming. And sin, when you talk about sin, we're all, we all have it in us. So it's not that. And we continue to sin. Not that. But there's something coming for that. We, we, we need to understand what that is for us to be able to respond in like, oh, that was close. But thank God. Through his grace, I'm saved. So I was just contemplating whether to do a couple of Sundays on basic Bible class or just have you guys sign up for basic Bible class. But then I know people are not going to sign up. Damn Hey, come on. Let's be real. Sign up, what? An hour of my day? Weekday? No. So I'm going to force feed you. <laughs> well, okay. Now some of you guys, I already know this. I'm, I'm going to skip the next two Sundays. I'm going to go on vacation. Go ahead. It's not for you anyway. Because even if you stay here, you're not going to listen anyway. 
So let's do that. The next two Sundays, that's my goal. Goal is to go back to these basics and let's answer these questions. What are we saved from? What are we saved for? How does it all happen? And my hope is that as we truly understand what it means to be saved, the response is true worship. It doesn't matter what the song is. It doesn't matter if the preaching is long, if it hurts. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Give you all the worship that you deserve. Worship is not based on emotion. Worship is not based on entertainment. Worship of God, true worship in this sense. And you can say, even when you're home, even when you're by yourself, but in this sense, we gather because of that. We gather because we remember, commemorate, enjoy the God of our salvation. Who do we look at when we, when we think about those things? The Lord Jesus Christ, which we're going to do today, the Lord's Supper. So hopefully, uh, my prayer is that you guys come back for that. Okay? Let's pray. The Lord.